I am super excited to have you back for another episode of Red Receipt. It's a deep dive into the how and why of the brands we love and the creatives behind them. From blueprints to launch day, customers as community, and the detours in between. Big lessons and easy listening. Red Receipt is hosted by Antidote, the email and SMS marketing agency by people who hate boring email. Today on Red Receipt, I'm talking with Kristen from Nomadica, the high-quality, sustainably-sourced wine brand served in a can. After a successful career as a sommelier, Kristen was drawn to the carbon footprint light world of wine in a can. Placing design and quality at the forefront, Nomadica broke down the door in the winemaking landscape, all in a new format. We explore what it was like to launch a wine brand in a completely new way, tactically changing your work habits, prioritizing your mental health as a founder, and creating a healthy work culture for a team. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Where are you based out of? I'm based in Los Angeles. Oh, awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm in uh, Orange County area. Oh. Close by. Very close by. Yeah. No, I'm originally from Massachusetts. So, uh, was very much over winter. And I don't think there's a better place to work in wine than in California. Did what originally brought you out to California? Was it a job you know, I've, or I've school bounced or anything back like and that? forth between the coast multiple times throughout my twenties, but it's, I moved to LA because I had been living in Nashville, uh, working for Sean Brock at Husk restaurant. I was running the program out there and Nashville isn't really a wine city. It's a liquor city. Um, and I was like, where should I move next? Should I move back to San Francisco? Should I move back to New York? And I had never lived in Los Angeles and I had been a wine director in Palm Springs for a while. And I, so I knew of the wine scene in Los Angeles and it's, it's so interesting because those other cities are super established. They're very traditional, but LA to me, it was a city without any type of wine or, you know, fine dining identity. So I was like, I want to move there. I want to see what's happening. And since I've lived here, it's been so amazing to kind of like watch the wine scene of the city establish itself into a really concrete, very cool thing. That's awesome. What, uh, what's your professional background before launching the brand? I know you touched on uh, some of your experience, but I'm just curious how you originally got. Yeah. So I have been a sommelier and a wine director for almost my whole career. Um, when I first started working in restaurants, I cooked and then I did a little detour um, and did a pre-med post-bac and got into med school at Harvard and just really hated it. Like, you know, when you in your bones feel like you're doing everything wrong in life, that's how I felt uh, at school. And also I was, I was working at a hospital at the time and I met this woman who I was just obsessed with, you know, in her forties, like raced cars was a like super athletic took these long bike rides just fun life of the party and was an incredible sommelier and she was the one that was first you know was like you should be my assistant wine director taste with me she really validated my palate you know I always thought I had a really good sense of taste and smell but 
Lee really showed me that I did. Um, and at the time she had gotten diagnosed with ALS and that was just a huge kind of wake up call for me. Cause I was like, okay, I could, you know, continue moving through my life in the way I have wanting people to think I'm smart and ending up in a career that I hate, um, and hating my life every day when I walk into a hospital, or I could do something I love that's risky and there's not really a set career path or path to success with it. But I love wine. Wine is like the amalgamation of, you know, history and geography. And also it's like sexy and fun and also about drinking and community and and eating something delicious. So I just, I loved it. And then I, I never looked back. So I've been a sommelier on, you know, the Island of Nantucket. I ran several programs in Palm Springs. As I mentioned, I worked for Sean Brock at Husk. Um, most recently, I was the sommelier at Osteria Moza in Los Angeles. I know way too much about Italian wine. I could bore you to death about all the individual Barolo crews and obscure Italian grapes. But yeah, so then, then I started Nomadica. When you were making this decision to make the uh, huge life change, was it hard with like friends and family and perception of? what you were trying to do i feel like for somebody going to harvard med school with like so much establishment around then jumping into wine and working directly in restaurants it feels like such a drastically uh different path in the 100%. scale and also you know like i was the first person in my family to go to college and um, grew up very, very kind of humble and was definitely looked at as like the one who was making it out. Um, and there was a lot of pressure put on that for me, but every single person that I asked for advice told me absolutely do not leave, uh, stay on the path you're on, become a doctor. You know, you'd be stupid to leave. You already did all the hard work because it's really hard to get into med school. It takes so much effort and the energy of even taking the MCAT, et cetera, et cetera. But one person that, that woman that I mentioned, she was the, she was the one who was like, you should do it. Life's about what's making you happy. And at one point I remember looking around and looking at the people giving me the advice and I didn't want any of their lives. Um, and so I was like, why would I take advice from people when I don't want their lives? I don't, you know, I don't want to live my life in the way that they've built theirs. And so it was, it was probably the hardest decision. <laughs> Very hard. I mean, what a, uh, yeah, yeah what a great cool. person to meet also. Yeah. I mean, like just such different advice than most people would ever even be comfortable. I know no one ever wants to give people involved. the advice to take a risk. That's what it's, it's so funny. I mean, even when I've taken on investors, like I find myself doing that, you know, I'm always like, this could all go wrong, by the way, just want to, before you give me your money, just, and they're like, okay, well, obviously <laughs> you don't actually think that because you wouldn't be here. So. Yeah. Yeah. That is funny. So I feel like also you had kind of an advantage going into I mean, I, I imagine you're, uh, had learned the act or art of learning and studying through getting into med school and then transferring that 
into wine absolutely set you up for like rapid learning in that space where most people are probably not equipped in the the same way well yeah and also i think and i don't know the, if that's true i'm just guessing by the way my my pre-med post-bac program that i was in was a struggle for me i was one of the only people in my program that was working at the same time most of my classmates um didn't have to work and were just their families could afford to pay for them to do postgraduate studies. And um, my undergrad degree was in English, sustainable agriculture and gender studies. So markedly different, you know, not competitive at all, very community oriented, very writing based. So the process of learning how to study for organic chemistry and calculus and just rote memorization really did help with wine. But then also you know, I always love the idea of when you find your flow and when you find the thing that you're really good at, it does actually come a lot easier. Um, and for me, the med track, I could do it, but it was so hard. It was just, it felt like dragging my body up a hill every day. It wasn't what I was meant to do. And did you feel like, did you immediately feel? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because I called a friend of mine because I had been working on Nantucket in the summers to pay for school because it's this island where the 1% vacations and I was a waitress at a restaurant. Yeah, it was just the the money was stupid uh, looking back. (laughs) (laughs) And so I, but I learned so much about wine, (laughs) obviously, you know, the 1% drinks well um, and they share And so I had called a friend of mine who owned a restaurant and I was like, can I come be a sommelier this summer? You know, I want to leave school. And he was like, "Mm, I don't, I don't know. You, you can come, you can unload the boxes, you can check in the wines and maybe I'll let you saw them one day a week. And I just worked really hard at it and threw myself into it. And, but it didn't feel like work. It just felt like the weight had been lifted off my chest and I was finally excited about life again in this way that I hadn't felt in years. And so after, after moving to LA, like when, when did the idea for launching your own brand come into play? How did, what was your like original vision? So it was my, no, no, I I have that. How did that come? It was a, it was a series of questions that led into each other. Um, my (laughs) co-founder's idea, um, Emma, (laughs) it was her idea to start a canned wine company. She approached me and I'll be honest. I was like, Nope, not interested. Um, I hate the idea of canned wine. The concept offends me. I would never (laughs) drink canned wine. I've never had a good one. Um, how dare you, (laughs) you know, I'm a serious sommelier. I'm. And she's super stubborn, canned a small batch of Pinot Noir from a producer she knew I really liked, brought it back to me to taste. And like, I remember sitting there and just wanting to hate it so much. Like I poured it into a glass and I was like, this is going to suck. I'm going to hate this. This is going to, I'm going to be so right. And (laughs) smelled that glass of wine. Um, The quality was unmistakable. The wine was beautiful. And I had to admit that I was wrong. And the further I looked into cans, you know, a, a liter of cans have half the carbon footprint of a bottle of wine. And so 
I really was like, okay, there's, there's something here to this. Like, is there a world in which we can do premium wine in a can? And we, I just jumped in. I really, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Like, I think I thought, cause I was coming from restaurant world where you work a million hours that I was just going to crush the founder life and it was going to come super simple. Um, what a rude awakening that was. And <laughs> also when we first started, you know, 2018, 2019, can wine wasn't a thing. Everyone told me I was crazy or stupid. Um, and here we are, like the, the concept works and people love it. They want it. Was it so after, after tasting the wine, what was your next step? Like in getting involved a, and then launching the brand and, um, did you end up? Yeah. Well, for the first, um, year and a half, I was working at night at Moza. So I'd work on Nomadica all day and then go into Moza and sling bottles of Italian wine to pay my bills. But the first step was really raising a friends and family round because, you know, no one's going to give you money if you don't have product market fit and proof of concept and at least something to go off of. So we had found a co-packer and I also started approaching really cool winemakers who I just knew from my life as a Psalm, one of which was Bob Linquist, who is this legendary California winemaker. He is responsible for bringing Rhone varietals to the central coast, which are, you know, Syrah, Mouved, Grenache, these things that we're so used to seeing in the central coast. He was part of like this group of revolutionary winemakers in the seventies who literally smuggled vines over from France to plant them because they thought that those warm weather grape varietals would do really well there, which they, they do. The wines are beautiful. And I really expected Bob, when I approached him to be like, Bob, make, put a wine in a can for me. I, you know, I need a good name because there's already so much that we're up against here <laughs> by putting it in a can. So I need, you know, I want to put your French camp vineyard Syrah, which is award-winning, like a very expensive straw in a can. And I expected him to tell me to go away. And then he's like, yeah, cool. Let's do it. That's fun. Um, and then also looking to my community again to raise money. And I think that I'm, I'm a really chatty person. I always have been. I think that's why I love being a sommelier. I just love talking to people and I love, you know, whether people want to buy a $40 bottle of wine or want to buy a thousand dollar bottle of wine. I really have always given the same service and the same level of attention to all guests. And that really has, has paid off in my career because pretty much all of our friends and family investors were my regulars at Moza. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so fascinating. How, um, what a interesting way to raise money, but also like from people that are fans of what you're doing anyways, and also probably good judges of the quality of the product. Is that how you like originally tested out the concept also with um, seeing like- uh, No, I just the idea? blindly rushed into it and we developed a product. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> I was like, this is a genius tactic that you've created. Just ran at it like, full, nope. full power. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I developed a <laughs> a couple wines. We did a Chenin Blanc. We did a French Camp Vineyard Syrah. We did a Rosé from Oregon. And then I went out and tried to sell them. And that is when I realized how hard my life was about to be. Because, um, you know, I'm coming from this world where you know, I just <laughs> spent seven years working on the floor of Michelin restaurants with this captive audience. And I, I mistakenly thought I was like, I'm so good at sales. I sell thousands of dollars of bottles of wine a night. Like I'm just going to be able to walk into <laughs> any retail or any like wine shop and I'm going to get people to buy my products. It's going to be so easy. Um, man, what a rude awakening for me. I had so many doors slammed in my face. So many people that were just like, what are you doing? The canned wine will never work. Um, <laughs> you're never going to win. And then I started to slowly get some yeses, but the first, I think I would say four months were just like constant rejection. And was that, that was after you had raised the friends and family round to get the brand off the ground. What was it like getting so many no's in the early stages? Were you like, um, was there ever any point where you were reconsidering? There's been so many points, idea. I think, in the journey that, you know, <laughs> I've felt that emotion. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I think also I am really competitive. And so there was this part of me that just kind of wanted to prove people wrong. And yeah, I got so bummed out by their rejection. Like it was really hard to pick myself up. But then I realized, you know, wine people weren't going for it. Sure. Maybe I should change my tactic. Maybe I should go to festival people. Um, maybe I should go to beer people. I should go to spirit people. And it was really there that I started to see some traction. Uh, people were super excited by the concept. And and gradually it caught on. And I remember uh sitting down to taste with somebody who I had really admired in the Los Angeles wine scene, Ryan Bailey, who is the director of Nomad Hotel, which, I, you know, RIP, but I definitely thought in its inception had one of the most incredible wine and beverage lists in California period. Um, and Ryan tasted the wine with me and he wasn't, he was somebody I knew, but was very intimidated by. And he loved the concept, loved the wines, put them in the mini bar, put them by the pool. And we saw this instant lift and such a great validation from having somebody like him get behind the brand. And that really, there was like little nuggets like that, that just kept me going. What was it like trying to learn like the distribution side of the business also because that's so different than even like any part of wine that you were in previously in such a massive challenge to getting any type of exposure i think this was another area that i when we first started i was like i buy from distributors all the time i know exactly how to do this this is easy uh and i was quickly knocked (laughs) on my butt and showed um, shown how wrong I was. So thankfully though, I have so many friends and a really wonderful community 
who have worked on the distribution and the supplier side. And I took advantage of that. I just asked people questions and I'd be like, can you help me with my pricing strategy? I have no idea how to build out a pricing grid, you know, cause you don't realize that you have to create different tiers for different case quantities and you want to, you know, set a, a price. So then you can discount it. And, um, and then even in thinking about who your distributor should be, you know, that's, that's huge because different distributors will get you into different types of accounts. And again, thankfully, um, early on in the journey, and honestly, a big reason why I have become the CEO that I have been was this gentleman named James Veraldi came up in tech, uh, was one of the co-founders at full screen that sold to Disney, then worked at Snapchat, worked at ByteDance, which, you know, owns TikTok. And he was one of our first angel investors and such a hands-on advisor, like the person that I called crying at in the middle of the night when, you know, something went wrong with the production run or when I felt stupid looking at a financial model. And he was the one that did a lot of research and pulled together uh, a lot of different people to find us an incredible strategic advisor in this gentleman named John Potter, who is the CMO at you know, Diageo North America and Moet Hennessy, who really had that bird's eye view and that expertise that could help us find a great distributor partner. And honestly, looking back, if I did anything smart, it was aligned with a big national distributor very early on because that is impossible to get nowadays. And we did it. We're with RNDC, which is one of the largest distributors in the US. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. How, um, what was it like learning from people like that, that had so much experience in building massive? It was super intimidating brands. at first. Yeah. Cause I, I would constantly go into these conversations so feeling really it. unprepared and really, um, like I didn't deserve to be in the room, you know, but I think, and this is something that m- my advisors have routinely said is people like to help. Um, and I even, you know, once I started really believing that and remembering that when someone comes to me and asks for help, I am happy to help. I love helping people. It's, it makes me feel good selfishly, you know? And I think most people do want to help. Most people want to feel useful. Most people love being creative and, and love the opportunity to, to advise and help a young founder and and mentor somebody, you know, I, I love mentoring people now. And so just, I have no shame and I have no, I have no shame in admitting, I don't know something. And I'm, I'm like overzealous with how often I ask for help now. I feel like that's probably one of the, um, traits that, allowed you to learn from people like that when most people would probably like hide through insecurity <laughs> what they yeah, don't I think- want people to know that they don't know which is how i was when i was younger i feel like i mean I've, that's probably most people or you want to project like i already know 100 percent. i mean I, I definitely I felt that way too I- <laughs> Especially when, you know, going out and dealing with the investor community and the founder community, that that was a hard thing for me to overcome. 
there with my advisors. I never really had trouble asking for help because, you know, there's there's an agreement there. They have they have equity in your company. You you feel less bad about it, right? It's almost like therapy. You don't mind talking about the same thing for an hour with your therapist because you're paying that person. So <laughs> but I think in you know, in other situations, it can be so insanely difficult because you and I think this is something beautiful that's really changing in the world. But when Nomadica first started, I think there was still that mentality of when you go out, you you present this buttoned up, I know everything. Uh, type of persona to the world. And I, I'm really happy that that's changing. Yeah. Yeah. You mean like culturally that's changing in the way that it's acceptable not to <laughs> act like that. It's so funny because it's like, obviously no one, I mean, most people don't know what they're doing, especially doing no. something. New. It's like, and, and, and when you like think about it, it's ridiculous because cool. it's like no CEO is, and founder is going to be a marketing genius, an operations genius, a financial genius, like a product genius, a sales genius. Like that's just unrealistic. <laughs> and also, if they're doing something new, they've never done it in the past. So they probably have absolutely no clue what the path towards success would even look like like even remotely look like at that point so it's like uh learning how to ride a bike and acting like exactly i know my my coo falling. always says this thing to me that <laughs> running a startup is like flying a plane while building it and it's just terrifying and scary and you're probably gonna fall to your death or think you will at least seven times while you're on your journey but it's kind of fun it's exhilarating Talking, talking about building a team, like now after partnering with uh, a, an extremely large distributor starting to see success, I feel like I'm interested in this. <laughs> Maybe these are all personally self-serving questions. Uh, on the same like note, how, how have you pushed yourself to find people that are like really experts in their field that are pushing you to learn and be better? You know, it's like, an, again, like an insecure thing to hire people that are better than you in areas when you're technically like also their boss and uh, look to for advice along the way while you're rapidly learn. Yeah. I mean, man, what an emotional journey that has been. I mean, so my co-founder left the business because she wanted to pursue some other interests. Um, last summer and I stepped into the CEO role and I was just running by myself, uh, for a minute, which was terrifying and met this incredible person who has 15 years of experience on the supplier side, three exits and alcohol under her belt. Uh, was the vice president of sales at Casamigos through their inception, up through their acquisition. And I convinced her to come on and join me in my journey um, as our COO. And at first, it was so intimidating, you know, because she has so much more experience than I have. 
<laughs> at, at everything in my business. But I think, and, and I have really built an incredible team of, I, I pinch myself daily that I got so many talented genius people to join. I think hiring has really been one of my strong suits. I didn't realize I had because I just, I try to just be like a, a vulnerable leader. Um, I try to admit when I don't know things, if I act in a way that I, you know, then deem inappropriate, like, you know, we all have bad days. If I like accidentally snap at someone, like I call them and I apologize and I hold myself accountable to not do that again. Um, I try to have Nomadica be the company that I always wanted to work in. So really giving people clear goals and also hiring great leaders who don't need micromanagement, who thrive on independence and creativity and, and mentorship in order to just succeed in their areas. So What are some of the key traits that you look for when hiring? Like, how have you hired knowing that it's one of I think personality, the skills that has uh, this, you? this sounds a little like woo woo, but we are, our interview process at Nomadica is laborious and just super drawn out. We're really slow to hire because we want to make sure that person fits well with every single member of our team. Um, considering startup life is like, it's a grind. It's a hustle. It's not for everybody. It's, and also you have to problem solve so many, so many things that you could never even imagine. So having that like creativity and that ability to come up with solutions when it kind of seems like there aren't any is essential, but people that are kind is really number one for me because one, one person can really bring down the energy of the whole team. Um, so that's probably my biggest thing and clear communicators, really organized, diligent people. Uh, it's all, it's all kind of the vibe. I feel like this sounds crazy, but within the first, you know, 15 minutes of sitting down with someone, you really, you know, if it's a fit or not. Yeah. hundred percent. Like there's no way to articulate it. Insane while doing that. I feel, I feel yeah. like I and know then you're sitting there and you're like, minutes. I told this person I'd interview them for an hour. So we're going to, we're going to keep this going. But like, I know. Um. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Every time I feel insane, I'm like, yep, I either know or I don't know. And I'm either looking to get off the phone or, uh, yeah, I'm like, yeah. now I need to really keep the train moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of like looking back since, since building the business and also having your role change throughout knowing that, um, your co-founder exited into another interest at a certain point, is there any advice that you would give yourself going back? Like that might not have even changed the I think if I could redo anything, it would be to just trust myself more. I, for years, struggled with imposter syndrome. 
in such a way that was so crippling <laughs> and so many moments, you know, I had a gut feeling and, and went against it because I did not trust myself and later turned out that that was the wrong decision. So, and, and I wish also I had taken better care of myself through the early years of the business. You know, I think I really let my mental health completely go. Um, and then had to deal with extreme, extreme burnout. And I was not like prepared for for that. Do you feel like that uh, aided you in building in the in that time frame, or that it didn't change? Like it wouldn't have changed anything if you would have just like spent yeah, I think more I, time. I honestly think I would have been a, a better leader sooner, and the company would be in a better place if I had um, asked for help more often. If I didn't work fourteen hour days every day, because uh, you're not really doing your best work when you're working that much. Like I remember. Talking, I have I have an incredible lead investor, board member. Just he has become such a mentor to me. I mean, he's built an incredible business for himself. And he, you know, he's asking me how it was going. And I'm just so honest all the time with people. And I was saying I was really struggling, I, you know, feeling like I couldn't get enough done in a day. And like I, I was working 14, 15 hours a day and still feeling so behind, feeling like I'm on a hamster wheel. And he was just looked at me and he's like, you should not be working that much. That's not healthy. And you're probably not doing good work. You need to just start tomorrow, work eight hours, be productive, like sit, sit down and look at what you're doing and figure out what you can outsource, figure out what you don't need to do. Start working on a, on a two week schedule like what goals do you want to accomplish in the next two weeks don't think you know i need to accomplish all of this stuff by the end of day tomorrow you're just gonna stress yourself out and panic and not do your best work um and i think changing my work habits has been so good and i'm you know i'm creative i can now show up and be a really incredible leader to my team um i now have bandwidth to like help other people out when other people are feeling stressed. Like I feel like one of the biggest responsibilities I have as CEO is being like the, the even keeled, you know, constant ship pushing everyone forward when, and when people are frustrated, just being the one that like, I will clear my schedule to help you. Like, you know, where are you coming into an issue here? Like, let's just, Let's spend an hour diving into this or like, no, let, hand it over to me. I'll take it off your plate. I'll find a solution. Like we got this. And then I love that part of my job. And I think it also helps with retention quite a bit as well. I totally agree. Um, how did you start to like tact tactically change your work habits? Because it seems like that's such a hard oh my God. habit. To change, especially when you're so attached, and also it's like connected. No, I saw the recognition in your eyes. You were like, "We're the same." You, uh, <laughs> neurotic. Yeah, neurotic uh, thought patterns. You know, I feel like this is like a main problem of people starting businesses. You work too much, you become neurotic, which causes you to work more. 
and then become more neurotic. And then also your team is probably not going to stick around for very long if the way that you are interacting with them is all based on fear, yeah. panic, <laughs> and neurotic thought patterns. <laughs> Especially if they're not working as much as you. And maybe, yeah, I think, like I mean, realizing space. like how insane I was, because it is neurotic, like also how addicted I was to work. Like it was really hard. I mean, I honestly looking up and realizing that I had become a really miserable person. My relationship with my now fiance um, was terrible. My relationship with my best friends who had been my best friends for decades was horrible. Um, And one of my best friends like really sat me down and was like, you can't keep going like this. You are actually terrible to be around. Um, great friend. And that's why, you know, kind of us East Coasters, friend. we're brutal to each other, but that honesty comes in handy sometimes. And so, and then it was all about, you know, setting boundaries. And thankfully my, my fiance and my friends all, have no trouble um, speaking their mind. So, you know, Joey, my fiance would be like, Hey, you said that you were going to stop working at 7 PM tonight. Like, are you going to do it or, or are you not going to do it? Um, and then also getting myself into personal therapy as well as coaching. Couldn't say enough good things about that. How do you, um, how do you like structure your schedule or your, um, yeah, think about like goal, goal setting and, and, or, uh, I mean, and by the way, this is all like grain of salt. Like I'm about to kick off a fundraise and I've just been working like a crazy woman. Um, it's, it's, (laughs) yeah, I, I don't, I don't expect you to be like, uh, I, you're mortal. Like you're a human, so I know that you're still going through it right now. I'm just basically this is like a so how I call. structure my schedule and my goal setting. <laughs> I definitely write down every you know every two weeks. I write down my goals, um, and I structure my day. I wake up. I don't check my email. I go work out. I either swim or I like do something at the gym. Because if I don't, I'm going to have a terrible day. And at least there's like, you know, that's something that's not related to work at all that I can feel really good and positive about myself for doing. And awesome. Great. Then I dive into work. And then um, I've also been trying to not get like super bogged down in my inbox, but I haven't quite mastered that yet. But yeah. I, I love the idea of doing two week goal setting, just knowing like how rapidly things change. I think that's what I always had a hard time with in like the corporate uh, roles that I've had in my past. You know, like everything's such a long time horizon, but in reality, how would you possibly know what you needed to be focused on during that time period? Exactly. Based on what had unfolded 
And then also, yeah, I'm also a big believer in like, so for example, in, I I knew my entire October and half of September was going to be just insane because I was going to, you know, prep for my fundraise and get my deck together and get my data room together. I knew what that was going to look like. So I made sure in September to like really watch my hours, not go over 40 hours a week, maybe take a day or two off during the week, like rest up to get that sprint going. And I was, I tried really hard to not feel super guilty about it. It (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I, I'm the worst. And then, and then you, when you not. realize, yeah. this is another thing my board member said to me, he's like, do you take a vacation? And I was like, no. And he's like, is anyone at your company taking days off? And I was like, no. And I was like, oh my God, I'm creating this like toxic work culture where I give unlimited vacation days and no one takes days off. So then my board member was like, no, you need to, you need to make people take mandatory time off. Like you need to go to each one of your team members and say, I need you to take a week off between, you know, X days. And then, um, something I learned from my friend who was also on your podcast, Ashwarya Iyer, um, who has, you know, so she's incredible. Yeah. Like the way that she built she's amazing. Inc- just great, healthy work culture at Brightland. I've taken a lot of notes from her on that and something that she does that we're going to do this year is we're going to shut down for two weeks of the holidays after Christmas. Like, Yeah, we, we do the same thing. And I just made a decision last year before doing it. I was like, I don't care about the um, repercussions of doing this. I'm just going to take a bet and make, assume that the upside is far going to out like exceed the downside i definitely i'd like yeah and then everybody comes back to work and they're like stoked you know they're like great (laughs) yeah yeah it's also such a simple thing to do i mean it feels crazy in the beginning like the first time you do it it feels a little odd um and we work with clients i had clients that uh say some funny things about doing it like that they don't even give their team time like that off but i just said like it's a decision that i'm making and i i'm just gonna do it so if anyone has a problem exactly i know it's it's really terrifying when you're putting it in the calendar and you're actually looking at it and you're like can we afford this like we're you know oh no like (laughs) making the right decisions yeah yeah Yeah, I'm coming up on that time right now. <laughs> There's eight of eight team members. How big is your team so. now? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. What a crazy ride that you've been on already. I mean, even like having a co-founder in the early days and then forging ahead on your own is also such an interesting yeah you know it's really um probably kind of rewarding especially because i don't have a traditional background like i don't have an mba um i've never worked in tech i've just worked in wine and so for so long i felt like i don't deserve to be here i can't be the ceo what do i know about business and to really forge ahead and just 
ask questions, have so much constant curiosity. You know, like I was talking to an investor last week who's been with us since the beginning and it's a, it's a group of older gentlemen and they were like, Kristen, wow, did somebody coach you on how to prepare for this call? And I was like, no, I'm just, you know, this is what's happening now. And they were like, it is insane how far you've progressed in two years. Like you have fully come into yourself as the CEO and it's incredible to watch. And I don't know, that really made me just, cause it's so rare where I actually take a second and slow down and like appreciate things. And that really made me pause and like, it actually still even describing it fills me with like so much warmth because it's hard. Yeah. It's fu- it's so funny that you mentioned Brightland too, because I, I think I look at everything that they've uh, done and accomplished and are building and it, everything feels so um, calm and intentional. I wonder if it feels that way on the inside. You know, like you're saying, same thing for your brand. Like if I look at it from the outside, it feels very calm, intentional. But then like talking with you, I'd imagine. I don't think. It doesn't feel that way. I, I find that to be like such a skill of being able to ignore or not ignore, but like um, deal with the neurotic tendencies of the mind and being able to like come back to baseline consistently. Over it, I mean, and I think that's what really so makes different. a great leader, right? To like, know that everything is a dumpster fire. Um, and especially when you're in the weeds in your business, like things feel terrible. Things feel like, oh God, this is a huge issue. This is a huge issue. But the ability to just like forge ahead and just keep pushing through the wall and knowing that like you will solve a problem when it comes up, you don't have a choice. You're just going to deal with it and pushing away those anxieties and not constantly looking at your competition and what they're doing and judging yourself by, <laughs> by that and judging yourself by everyone else's, you know, calm, perfect outside has, is really challenging. But it's, it's a, like mental warfare yeah. every day. Yeah. Yeah, I think working out and um, like forcing. Right. And then also having founder friends that you can just sit and like complain about your whole existence to and really um, empathize with one another. Having that community has been so incredible for me. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, how I'll uh, try and wrap this up, by the way. Uh, you talked about having imposter syndrome and then now having such a great community of founder friends. How did you develop that community and also allow yourself to be present enough to have mm. honest relationships? feel like that's another massive challenge for founders is being 
comfortable enough. To Completely. Not and well. that's something that like, again, going back to that, that intuition and that gut feeling of knowing when you sit down and, you know, you ask another founder out for coffee that you haven't met before really doing a gut check and being like, do I trust you? Um, do I want to open up to, you or are we going to keep this very, very surface level and talk about our, you know, our CACs and our LTVs, Just high level service stuff, you know? Um, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Yeah. But also great. Yeah. Yeah. I think I ask you that because I do that sometimes and then other times I, um, in my own yeah. world, but probably for the same reason that you're right. You know, certain people you connect with. Like, I feel like even, you, you know, if you way. and I were having a glass of wine, we'd probably like get into it. You know, we'd like, I can tell on this call, I'm like, hey, you are a person that like. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm asking you all relevant questions to my own life. So. <laughs> I might be telling you too much about myself without even saying anything. <laughs> impossible. Impossible. I really also just love the idea that like, and my board member, you know, says this a lot to me and he's really gassed me up with this. He's like that whole like asshole CEO, just jerk mentality that became really popular and mainstream is not the only way to do it. And that's going out of style. He's like, you can be a kind, empathetic, vulnerable CEO who makes mistakes um, and is honest with your team. And I, I think I always go back to that because he's built a really successful business and he just has a lot of integrity in that yeah, front. I totally agree. And hope it's true also. <laughs> I know. Same. God, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm like, please let this be the right way to do this. I think for uh, <laughs> keeping people around for the long run. Has to be true. I guess the building a successful yeah. business I mean, also could be a separate conversation, though. So I hope it's true. But I think those are one and the same. That's very true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I love the brand that you've built. And congrats on all the thank success you, that you've had so far. I would love to stay in touch.